Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. You know, it's become a truism during most of our lives that God's love is unconditional. And it is true that God's love is unconditional. God is love. He doesn't go in and out of being love because of what we do. So God's love is unconditional. But my friends, being the disciple of Jesus Christ is not unconditional. There's lots of conditions to it, and you have to pay attention to the conditions. What does it mean to be a disciple? Some believe, and being a believer accepts, like Graham Greene said about the gospel, he accepted it was true, he just couldn't do it. Uh, and so some people are, are just, I guess, given to despair. But Jesus in the gospels today, and uh, James in the letter of James, for the Sunday readings, do, do talk about the conditions of discipleship. And so being a believer is like standing on a railroad track and watching the train come. You believe it's coming, you know it's going to end up badly for you. That's what belief is. You can see what the future is bringing. Discipleship is when you do something about it. So this podcast, I'm going to first start by talking about the letter of James, because James is such a unique letter. Then we'll talk about the gospel, and then we'll bring it all together with a great story about St. Catherine of, De of Siena. And so this was the first reading from the letter of James. Uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister has nothing to wear and has no food for the day, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you do not give them the necessities of the body, what good is it? So also, faith of itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Indeed, someone may say, you have faith and I have works. Demonstrate your faith to me without works, and I will demonstrate my faith to you from my works. And that's where the, God, the reading ended. This is the part that was not included, and it's what I just read was James 4, chapter 2, 14 through 18. But here's 19 through 22, which has really got the punch in it. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. Do you want proof, you ignoramus, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and this faith was completed by the works. You know, that is old-time preaching. When you can say to someone who believes, well, the demons believe, my friend. Listen up, ignoramus. You know, that uh, kind of preaching has gone by the by uh, in the Catholic Church, um, probably for the best. But Jesus is more pointed on what it means to be a disciple. For James, if you want to be a disciple... He really keeps pointing to acts of charity towards the poor. Jesus talks about it all the time in the gospel, that those who give alms are storing treasure in heaven. Solidarity between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, care for other people, solid Christianity. Today, if you have a chance, support collection for Haiti or for the victims of Hurricane Ida or for your favorite charity that cares for the poor. Do something about it. Be a disciple. And then also listen to the Gospel of Mark. Because Christ is teaching us the conditions for discipleship. And it starts with his call, which is, come, follow me. 
And so let's take a moment and turn to the Gospel of Mark. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark all the way through the end of this liturgical year, ending with Christ the King in November. For the next two months, we're in a part of Mark that is very much about discipleship and the conditions of discipleship. What I want to offer you today is how to think about the stories that you're going to hear at Sunday Mass through September and the end of October. You know, Mark is called the Action Gospel. If you think of Luke and Matthew and John, there's really much more explanation. They're, they're bigger stories. John, especially the stories that go on for an entire chapter. But in Mark, there'll be three, four, five stories in just in one chapter. They're like short little versions of longer stories that appear in the other gospels. And so the temptation is to look at the Gospel of Mark and see it as kind of a, some primitive understanding that's episodic in nature. And it would be like this. Jesus did this, then Jesus did another thing, then Jesus did another thing, then Jesus said something, then Jesus said another thing. That would be a misunderstanding of Mark. Here's what I want to offer you today. Today, I want to say this is the part of Mark that is about discipleship. And if you want to read it that way, and I think that's the best way to read it, just read through chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Mark, because that's where all our stories will be coming uh, from for the, uh, through the end of October. And you will see something repeated uh, in all Jesus' predictions of the Passion when he calls his disciples to come and follow me, that it really is rooted back in chapter 1 of Mark. If you go back and look at chapter 1, uh, Jesus walks up to the lake. He sees some fishermen, Simon and his brother Andrew, and he says, come follow me. There's the general call to vocation. Then chapters 8 through 10 is what the cost of discipleship is. That is, what the conditions are. How are you transformed as a disciple? You know, discipleship is, is conditioned, isn't it? When you were married, if you are married, um, there were two conditions you had agreed to to be married. It's all about love, isn't it? And exploring what love is uh, in the sacrament of marriage, conditions that marriage is exclusive, that you do not have other conjugal partners, and second, that marriage is permanent. If you have an intention against either exclusivity in marriage or the permanence of the bond, at uh, that moment that you say, I do, under canon law, that is an invalid marriage. Now, you might have uh, every good intention on the day that you're married of it being exclusive and it being permanent. And wow, how just vocations could work out, the cost of discipleship. Uh, but it doesn't make marriage invalid. It just means you fall, you get back up, and you start again. Same for all of our priests, right? But this is what's written into the gospel. And so here's how I like to think about it. This story that we have today is a story about uh, Jesus' prediction of his passion um, and then the disciples' rejection of that prediction and then Jesus uh, teaching about discipleship. If you think of those three parts, Jesus predicts his passion, the disciples blow him off, and then Jesus doubled down and, and teaches about why this is discipleship. 
This is how this section on discipleship is set up. The gospel today uh, starts with Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? And we're at the end of chapter 8 of the gospel of Mark. And in the gospel, if you remember, some people, they say, some say Elijah, some say another one of the prophets. Um, obviously, some great figure from the past who has been brought back into this world uh, because Malachi said, before the Messiah comes, Elijah will come again. So people were expecting the prophet and they were thinking that Jesus was just the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. And then Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's when Jesus says, you know, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Same story is told in Matthew. And you remember, in Matthew, Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. In Mark, Jesus, the Mark in Jesus, because it's Peter telling the story and not tooting his own horn. So Peter omits that part because Mark is Peter's scribe. Mark is the person who put Peter's gospel into writing. So Peter just tells the story of his failures. This is St. Peter, humble about how unworthy he is of all of this. And so Jesus predicts his passion. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be tried by the chief priests and the scribes. He's going to be crucified, but then he'll rise from the dead. And then Peter rejects that. He takes him apart and goes, don't be such a negative Nelly, Jesus. Come on, things could turn out great. God loves you. Maybe we'll be able to bring to the new kingdom to pass. And, and uh, this, is, this is what runs through Mark. This idea of Jesus has one understanding, which is the true understanding, of what the kingdom of the Messiah is. And the disciples have a very different understanding, and it plays out throughout chapters 8, 9, and 10. And I'll, I'll give more detail as we go along. Um, but this whole story was set up by a, uh, a quote earlier of Jesus in chapter 8, just a few lines before, um, because the story of the, of, uh, of the uh, passion prediction is at the end of Mark. But in chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus is upbraiding the disciples because they don't understand the meaning of these signs. Uh, casting out demons, the curing of the, the lame uh, as fulfillments of Isaiah. They don't understand the feeding of the thousands in the wilderness, which is going back to Moses and the feeding of the manna. They just don't see who's there with them. And so then Jesus says to his 12 blockheaded disciples, and that's who they are in the Gospel of Mark. And Peter makes it very clear in his Gospel that they did not get this. Jesus says this, Do you have eyes and not see? ears and not hear, and do you not remember? And then what Jesus does, he cures a blind man. So someone can see, but he cures them in two stages. This is a curing, a healing episode. To remember the first time the guy says, I can see people, but it's like trees walking. So Jesus does it again. And then they see clearly. So the point of that story is, do you think that the man lacks faith or Jesus lacks power? Or is it that the way that the sign is done is something about discipleship? We all see it through a glass darkly, uh, St. Paul says. I mean, just take a look at your own life about seeing part way, maybe seeing more completely now, and hopefully being open to the possibility that you and I are just blockheads 
following Jesus on the way to Calvary, which we will participate in. And so why do we talk about the curing of the blind man at Bethsaida, which immediately precedes the passion prediction? And here's the reason why. And this is about the structure of Mark. If you go to chapter 10, so remember I keep saying 8, 9, and 10, go to chapter 8, verse 22. It's the curing of the blind man uh, in, in two stages. And so that's the first curing of a blind man. The second one is in chapter 10, verse 46, and it's Bartimaeus. Do you remember Jesus walks through um, Jericho? And at verse 46, Bartimaeus, a blind man sitting on the side of the road, says, Jesus, son of David, a messianic title, the true Messiah. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Don't bother the master. The disciples still are blockheads. Jesus says, bring him to me. And he cures him in one stage. And what happens? He says, come follow me. And that man, Bartimaeus, followed Jesus on the way. Because the way is how Mark describes how you follow Jesus. We do not lead Jesus. We do not walk side by side. The idea of being a, having a personal relationship with Jesus, I think there's a, an orthodox way of understanding that. But um, relationship, L-A-T, lateral, side by side, that's what a relationship is. Husband and wife have a, have a marital relationship. But our relationship to Jesus as one of his disciples isn't side by side. He keeps saying, follow me. And that's the story of all these passion predictions. And so what I'd said was, if you read through 8, 9, and 10, you'll see that Jesus has three predictions of his passion. They're all structured the same way. And the structure is always, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified. He's rejected or ignored. And then Jesus, once again, doubles down on discipleship. Do you want to know how to be a disciple? Read these three stories in 8, 9, and 10, and look at all the ways that there's misfires in the gospel. So the first prediction of the Passion, and um, St. Peter kind of gets it right about the Messiah. He says he's the Messiah. He doesn't get it like Bartimaeus gets it in chapter 10. Others see it more clearly. But when he says it, it's like stage one of the healing for Peter. And so stage one is Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then Peter says, being a negative Nelly, uh, Jesus, you really don't have to go be crucified. And that's what Jesus talks about, his first condition for discipleship. Here's what he says, and we disciples ought to listen. He summoned the crowd with his disciples. So it's not just his disciples, it's anyone who would follow him, the crowd and his disciples. And he said to them, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? What could one give in exchange for his life? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this faithless and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. So what are the conditions of discipleship in this first prediction? Well, the first condition is you got to give your life away. you got to enter into the relationship and follow him with all the risks that it takes. 
Friends, it takes risk to be a Catholic priest. You're taking a risk when you marry the person you love all your life because this may not always work out the way that you want to do it. If you're going to give your life away, um, then you're just at risk. But big returns, big investment, and so give your life away um, and then witness to Jesus in your life because that's the second thing. If you're ashamed of Jesus, if you're the anonymous Catholic, there's going to be, there's, where's that going? And so you witness by what you say and you do. So that's the first prediction of the Passion. Um, they deny him, and Jesus says, give your life away. Don't be ashamed of me. And so then we turn to chapter 9. And there's a few stories. Uh, next week it will be the transfiguration of Jesus, his glory showing on uh, Mount Tabor. He'll talk about the coming of Elijah. And remember in another gospel he says, St. John the Baptist was in fact the coming of Elijah. He'll heal a boy of a demon. And then the second uh, prediction of his passion. It's just like, oh, hey guys, I was thinking about this. Uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. Once again, um, that he he was uh, he once again he is rejected, and uh, then he doubles down. And he teaches after he says the Son of Man is going to be crucified. It said they were afraid to question him, but this is the rejection, and it immediately follows. As they were coming to Capernaum, uh, and this is uh, chapter nine, verse thirty-three. They came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, because they won't talk to him. Bad sign when you can't talk through things with Jesus in prayer. Bad sign when you can't talk through things with people you're in your uh, intention with. Um, they came to Capernaum, and once inside the house, he began to ask them, what were you arguing about upon the way? He's very attentive, our Lord. But they remained silent. They had been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. And you already get that Peter now knows that Jesus knew it all anyway. Then he sat down. He called the twelve. The crowd's not there. This is about the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Taking a child, he placed in their midst and putting his arms around it, he said to them, Whoever receives one child such as this my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. And so it's about being the servant of all. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember the Gospel of John, the night of the Last Supper? Jesus takes off his cloaks and begins to wash Peter's feet. And it's, Peter says, well, no, you're not washing my feet. It's another rejection of discipleship teaching, how to disciple. And Jesus says, if you're not going to let me wash my feet, then, you know, you have no part of me. And then Peter says, you know, wash my head, my hands, wash everything. There's a great painting of that showing a very unhappy Peter allowing his feet to be washed by Jesus. And then the guys in the background around the table covering their eyes are looking shocked. Only one guy's taking his sandals off. But the rest are just uh, scandalized that Jesus uh, would wash feet. Because remember when he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, Elijah, the prophets. All these people are dead. They know there's something supernatural about Jesus. What they're shocked about is how God cares for us. But we need to care for others as God cares for uh, us. And so that's the second teaching on discipleship. And then... Um, 
It continues on. Jesus performs another exorcism. He talks about uh, turning your back on temptation to sin. He says you have to be like salt in the world. You can't lose your favor. Then you turn to Mark 10, and we're coming into the end of the cycle on discipleship. And he talks about giving your life away. This is where Jesus talks about marriage and divorce, because that is a vocation in Mark. And that's where he talks about exclusivity and permanence in marriage. And then immediately follows it with talking about blessing children, um, that let the little children come to me, because marriage is a fundamental vocation uh, in the gospel. And then you remember the rich man comes and says, Lord, my, what, 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 good master, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And so what must he do? Well, you remember he has to keep the commandments, which he said he did. And then Jesus says, well, uh, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. We're going back to uh, James, right, about care for the poor. But the rich man walks away um, very sad because it's very hard. Uh, if you're going to rely on wealth, your own power, to follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means you might lose it all. And then we're down to chapter 10, verse 32. And it's the third prediction of the Passion. They were on their way going to Jerusalem, and Jesus went ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve aside. Now it's not the crowd and the twelve, it's just the twelve. Taking the twelve aside again, he began to tell them what, what was going to happen to them. This is the third time. Do they accept it? No, the pattern. Jesus tells them. They reject it. Peter teaches, uh, Jesus teaches them about discipleship. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit upon him, scourge him, and put him to death. But after three days he will rise. And so Jesus summoned them after that. You know that, that because it's, do you remember the story of the ambition of James and John? In Mark's Gospel, James and uh, John's mom comes, and mom says, um, you know, can my son sit on your right and sit on your left when you enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, those seats are already taken. Uh, my father's assigned them. And then he calls the 12 together because he knows it's not um, uh, James and John's uh, uh, mom uh, that, put, that put them up to it. James and John asked their mom to do this. That's why it's so interesting that we're reading the letter of James about all this because James has become a disciple after this. So Jesus summoned them and said to them, this is Jesus discipling again, summoned them and said to them, do you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt? But it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Why do we have this great story about St. Peter uh, crucified upside down? Because he is not worthy. He is the slave of all. St. Paul talks about it. That first generation of Christians, they understand that this was the key to, to discipleship. They were not the drivers. They were a humble magisterium. Right now we have lots of Catholics, some Catholic priests online, who set themselves up as an alternate magisterium to the Pope and the bishops. Since the problem of Christianity, if you quit believing the apostolic authority, you're just going to end up believing in anything. It's going to sound really sincere to you. It's going to be exactly what you want. But it is a rejection of discipleship because 
in what I'd say about the three predictions of the Passion, and the guys reject them because, no, Jesus, don't suffer, or, you know, uh, we're kind of in this because this kind of gets me where I'm going, and, you know, uh, I'm hoping other people respect all the kinds of uh, sacrifices I make and, and uh, you know, re repay me accordingly. That is not what Jesus said is about discipleship. Um, discipleship has a cost to it, and that is the scary thing about discipleship. And so uh, that picture of Jesus washing the feet of Peter, it's how important being a servant leader is in the church. Is it hard? Uh, read the Gospel of Mark, chapters 8, 9, and 10. These are well-intentioned guys, and yes, it's hard. Um, but it's because of those two miracles, and now we come to Bartimaeus, the blind man. And this we will have at the end of October. And so I'll read it in anticipation. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a sizable crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, the son of Timaeus, sat by the roadside begging. On hearing that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, there's the messianic, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Please don't make our religion uncomfortable. But he kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. Please don't be a pain in the church. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, get up, he is calling you. He threw aside his cloak, sprang up, and came to Jesus. Jesus said to him in reply, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied to him, Master, I want to see. Jesus told him, Go your way, your faith has saved you. Immediately he received a sight and followed him on the way. So you think those two stories are connected? Do you remember Jesus says to his disciples, don't you have eyes to see? Don't you have ears to hear? Uh, wow, you guys are such blockheads. He then cures a deaf man. And then three passion predictions, three stories about discipleship. And then he cures, what? A blind man. And so you can see, uh, last week, if you remember, was the curing of the, of the deaf man, to see and to hear. And what are you supposed to see and hear? Well, what you're supposed to see and hear is the preaching of the apostles. Um, the anchor of our faith is this living authority that people want to fight with in the, uh, coming out of our Holy Father in, in Rome and our bishops. But the cost of discipleship, how has this been lived out in the past? And we're going to turn to that in the conclusion of this episode of Oral Valley Catholic. And so we're back to the very nature of God. It is true. God is love. God is unconditioned love. God is love, pure existence. Everything comes into being because of God's love, his willing, the good of others. That's why we believe creation is good. Why, as difficult as this time is, God's goodness is in this, but there's also suffering. And that's really the relationship between God's unconditional love and discipleship. Disciples are lifelong learners. Disciples are not the master. Disciples have ears open to learning. Disciples are always looking, seeing, under, trying to understand. If you are at a place where you believe that you're the master and you're shouting down the Pope, or God forbid, the poor parish priest, um, You've just taken the spiritual space of a master. No one's appointed you to that. Uh, 
God hasn't sent any great sign that uh, you're the one that's supposed to tell the rest of us uh, how we're supposed to live. Our understanding is the apostolic succession. This is at the core of uh, the Catholic Church. It's the core of orthodoxy. 2,000 years of apostolic tradition. Why fight with the leader of the church? But this is where some American Catholics are right now. So what's the problem of unconditional love and discipleship? Uh, it's the same problem that you'll see all shot through the Gospel of Mark, is when you quit being a disciple and you tell Jesus, no, it's not necessary for you to be crucified. Suffering's really not part of the gospel. Why are you getting these annoying people here? How come sinners are in the church? Why do you allow this? You know, you're trying to bring heaven to earth. This is simply not possible. You know, the, a great example is why the saints are wonderful. St. Catherine of Siena. She talks about taking care of this woman dying of breast cancer. And you know, they... They didn't have any effective treatments for it. And apparently, it, in the advanced stages, flesh begins to rot. Nobody wanted to care for her because of the stench. And so Catherine decided she's going to go in and she's going to love this woman and she's going to take care of her. But she found it so repulsive. She said that she just had to screw up the energy to go and do it. She'd stick little things up her nose so she didn't have to breathe in the stench. Finally, here's what she did, and she talks about it. Uh, she told her, her uh, spiritual director. She had been bathing the wounds, which are seeping, all sorts of stuff. And she picks up the bowl, and she asks God for grace, and then she drinks it. And she said, it tasted sweet. Wow, I don't know what that is. But she said it tasted sweet. Love, God's love is unconditional. When we think about love, it is all conditioned because it's all about learning about love as a disciple. The condition is, is you can put up with the stench of that woman. The condition is, is you can overcome your fears of suffering. The condition is that you're willing to follow Jesus into whatever situation he leads you in in life because you're not leading, you're not driving the bus, you're just following. Why is it that the demons believe and tremble. This has been Oral Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. Oh,